And good morning to everybody, and welcome to uh, part five of Follow as we continue this look at what it means to follow Jesus with our Christian lives. And if you're someone who's listening or watching online, we're also blessed and thankful that you've found us and have had a chance to, to listen to this message. Question for you to get started. Um, raise your hand if you have heard of John Weisselbaum. Anybody here heard of John Weisselbaum? Okay, I've got a picture for him here. This is John Weisselbaum, and John was one of the earliest settlers of Lakeville, Minnesota. One of the earliest settlers of Lakeville, Minnesota. His wife, Margaret, and he emigrated from Germany in the mid-1800s, and he homesteaded land on the south side of Lake Marion. Does anyone know what homestead means if you're younger than 30 or something, you know? A homestead means that you didn't have to pay for land, that you just go and claim it because no one else had ever lived there before necessarily, and you can just claim land and it becomes yours. That's what they did on the south side of Lake Marion. John was a carpenter, and he built the family's first home, a rather large home, especially for the time. It had three, four bedrooms, I think, two stories. And over time, that house had a bunch of remodelings. Uh, his wife was the typical wife, right? Wanted things changed and, and made better, right? No, I don't know that for sure. I'm just speculating, okay? And they remodeled about a uh, number of times so that there was a, eventually 11 bedrooms in the house, more space than they needed. So what the Weisselbaums decided to do was to invite people to rent out rooms during the summer because Lake Marion, it wasn't even called Lake Marion at the time, was such a nice place to hang out. Well, as time went on, they ended up building 11 cabins also along with the, the house that had, I think, actually 14 bedrooms, not 11, and a big old dinner, dinner room or house that could seat up to 100 people, and there was uh, like uh, cook's quarters upstairs, and the Weisselbaum Resort became a must-see, must-come-to attraction in many ways, people from all over the Midwest would come to stay on the south side of Lake Marion at the Weisselbaum Resort. I have some pictures for you of this. Um, this, I think, is the house that was built, and that was the dinner home to the right with the, the cook's quarters upstairs. I have another couple pictures for you. This is a, a large gathering at the house, people hanging out on the south side of Lake Marion, just near Antlers Park there. And then all these, it's hard to see, but all these are a huge crowd of people. There's Lake Marion, and there's the, the, the home of the Weisselbaums and the, uh, the dinner hall there. This happened a half mile away on the south side of Lake Marion. And none of you have ever even heard of John Weisselbaum. John and Margaret were some of the most influential settlers of Lakeville, and in fact, uh, had a big deal to do with Antlers Park, that even Antlers Park became this big, must-see attraction in the Twin Cities. You'll have to Google it if you want to know more, okay? And yet, just over 100 years later, most of us, many of us, live in Lakeville. We come here at least once a week, and we've never even heard of them, and it gets you thinking. Will anyone remember me? <laughs> Helmets sure no. <laughs> Other than your great-grandkids and 
maybe a few other family members because there's pictures. Will anyone remember me a hundred years from now? Remember you and things that we've done? <laughs> I, I went to the Weisselbaum Resort um, this week. You want to see a picture of it? Here it is. It's all been knocked down, taken away. The only way you'd even know that the Weisselbaum Resort was right here <laughs> is that there's a, a plaque that the Lakeville Historical Society put up to let you know that across the street once stood this amazing place. Will anyone remember us? I, mean, I don't know if I'm going to do anything in a worldly sense as influential as what the Weisselbaums did. And today, I want to encourage you with the news. Though no, no matter who you are or what your job is or what you do with your life in a worldly sense, you can make a difference. And you can make a difference that will last much longer than the Weisselbaum Resort did. You can make a difference that even if people don't remember your name necessarily, that yet the results of what you did with the time you had in your life has made a difference that honestly can last into eternity. And, and I want to talk about that all in the realm of follow. Because when Jesus invited some of his first disciples to follow him, he followed that with words about purpose and words about life and making a difference. So we're going to look at it a few verses from the book of Mark. This is one of the accounts of Jesus' life. And maybe surprisingly enough to you, you didn't know that Mark wasn't one of the 12 disciples. Actually, Mark was a disciple or a, uh, a follower of Peter, the disciple, and he learned all about Jesus' life through Peter and then wrote down what Peter would, would tell him. And that's how Mark, the book of Mark, came about. Well, in Mark's account, he sort of pens the calling of Peter to be one of the disciples, probably as he penned it, as Peter wrote, vo verbally told him about it. We're going to turn to Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 14. It says that Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. Now, let me talk to you for a moment about what most religious people of the day thought about God. That it wasn't good news about God, it was a difficult system about God. That the way that you would have any chance of a relationship with God or any chance of being saved was all about a system of things to do and things to not do. And so people's relationship with God was very guarded. It was one of certainly not confidence. It was one of wondering, what is going to happen to me, and did I do enough in order for God to love me? Well, then you have Jesus come around, and he gets people back to the, the true meaning of the Old Testament, which was this, that there would be a Savior coming, that even though there's a bunch of laws you need to follow, that's not how you're saved. The way that you're saved is that the Savior that would be coming. And, and Jesus basically said, hey, I, I'm the guy. And I've got this good news for you. You don't need to do anything. I'm going to do it for you. All you need to do is to believe. 
And good news is so much better than a good system. I mean, would you rather have the good news that the Vikings won the Super Bowl or the good system that they might get to win the Super Bowl, right? The news is always better than the system. Jesus came with good news of what would be done on their behalf. Verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee then, he saw Simon, and Simon was Peter's other name, so this is, you know Simon by the name Peter, and Peter's brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Verse 18. At once, Peter and Andrew left their nets, and they followed. When he'd gone a little farther, Jesus saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Verse 20. Without delay, Jesus called them, and they immediately left their father Zebedee. In fact, left him in the boats with the hired men and followed Jesus. They were just like, all right, we're going to follow this guy. Which makes you ask the question we asked with Matthew a few weeks ago. (laughs) Is this real? Like, When in real life does it happen that someone comes, says, leave your stuff and follow me, and they just immediately follow without maybe even knowing a lot about that person? (laughs) And we we learned with Matthew that there was more to the story than we read from Matthew chapter 9. And the same thing is true, just want you to know, for Peter, James, John, and Andrew. If you read all the accounts of Jesus calling these four, you see that this wasn't just like their first sort of interaction with Jesus. The first time they ever saw him was on on the shore, and he said, come follow me, and they just jumped out of the boat and followed him. There was more to it than that. These four had been disciples of John the Baptist, and so they had heard about a Savior that would be coming, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Um, They actually had heard Jesus preach before, And Luke tells us that right before this calling, (laughs) Jesus did a miracle for them. He did a fishing miracle. He said uh, to the guys, throw your net out into the lake. And it was in the middle of the day, which is not a good time to catch fish because all the fish are near the bottom because it's it's warm. And Peter's like, we haven't caught any fish all day. I'm not going to do that. And Jesus said, do it. (laughs) and Peter said, okay, I will. And he threw the net in, and they caught so much fish that they needed help getting the net into the boat. And it was after that, and after hearing Jesus' claims that he was the Son of God and the Savior, that Jesus then said, come follow me. And so Peter, Andrew, James, and John were not like um, just sort of spur of the moment following Jesus. They had come, as small as it might have been, they had come to faith in Jesus Jesus had changed them. They had believed the good news, and now they're like, what what could I do that would be better than to follow him with my life? And that's exactly what they did. Now, here's why I'm spending so much time with the news that Jesus shared and why these four followed as a result of the news is that the purpose that God wants you to take home today and the difference that you can make in your life, the purpose itself is not what's going to change your life. Oh, it might help bring some meaning to your life. But the purpose itself won't change your life, our first fill-in. Purpose, this one doesn't change your life. 
This purpose that I want to talk to you about, that Jesus talked to those four guys about, is the result of a changed life. You see, whenever someone asks you to do something that doesn't come naturally or you don't want to do, do you accept it gladly or do you push back? I know you push back if it's not something you want to do, if it's not something that comes naturally. Jesus changes your life first, tells you what he's going to do for you, and then for these four guys, he calls them and gives them purpose. And what was that purpose? What was that, that thing he would give them? Let's go to our next verse. It's actually a repeat of verse 17. Here's what Jesus said. Come follow me, and then as you follow me, I will send you out too. How would you fill that in if you could fill it in any way you'd want? Uh, send you out to have a great earthly life. Send you out to become rich. Send you out to become successful. Send you out to be happy all the time. Jesus doesn't promise any of that. Instead, he says, I'm going to send you out to fish for people, (laughs) or in another translation, to be fishers of men. I'm going to send you out to fish for people. Now, if you're brand new to the Bible, you're thinking, like, what? Like, we're supposed to take nets, throw them on people, and drag them around? Or what, what's this whole fishing for people thing? This is the first time this phrase had ever been used in the history of the world, and it's not used very much anymore except in church circles. Here's what it means. Fishing for people means to share the message of Jesus with people who don't know about it or who knew very little about it so as that they might become a part of God's family so that they might believe. And Jesus' call for those who follow him is to do just that, to fish for people. I want you to just think about that calling, and I want you to think about, to varying degrees, how well you've done that or how much that's on your radar. And I want you to consider your faith in general. Because if I were to ask you what's the most important part or the best part of following Jesus, thought question, how would you answer that? What is the best part, the most important part of following Jesus? I'm guessing that 99% of you would answer It's what Jesus has done for me. It's forgiveness that he won for me on the cross. It's heaven that he gives me as a free gift. Ben, it's the good news that Jesus was talking about. That's the best part. And if that's what you're thinking, I would tell you that you're absolutely right. That is the best part. But here's what I'm going to push back on you a little bit. And if you are, again, brand new to the faith and maybe at church for the first time, you can just sort of tune me out for a few seconds here, okay? Because I first want you to understand the good news. Because first the change life happens and then the purpose happens. For those of us who would call ourselves Christians or followers of Jesus, you need to recognize and know that if the sum total of your following Jesus is all about or only about what he's done for you, you're missing some of it. That following Jesus starts with what he's done for you, 
But if we want to follow Jesus the way he has asked us to follow him, it includes our activity. It includes him calling us to do something. (laughs) Here's the the way that I put it in our next fill-in. Followers fish. Not followers may fish or followers can fish or followers, if they want to, will fish. (laughs) But if you follow Jesus... Just like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, he calls you to be fishers for people. One of the things that I work on as a parent that you've probably had to work on too is teaching my kids to take ownership of things. Um, And and I'm going to preface what I'm going to say by we have really great kids, but they're kids. And there are certain things they need to continue to work on. So, for instance, uh, after breakfast, and they've left the house, and they're on the, on the way to the bus and things, when most days when I go back into the kitchen, there's cereal boxes everywhere and milk containers out, and a lot of times the cap isn't even back on the milk. I don't know if it's too tired to put the milk cap back on top, right? And there's plates everywhere, and I'm just wondering, you know, I've asked them, do you guys think that we hire someone to come back and to clean everything up, you know, after you guys are done? And we've, we've had a, a good laugh about that. Or, or when it comes to, to folding clothes, and when we're done, you know, maybe like in your home, we'll say, put the folded clothes away. They'll take them to your room. And so that's what they'll do. They'll take the basket and they'll set it in their room. And what we found is that we need to be a little more specific. Take the basket, put it in your room, then take the clothes out of the basket, all of it, and then go to your dresser, lay it in there nicely, put your clothes on the hangers if they need to be hung up. I found I need to say button the top button so they don't fall off, you know. You got to be very specific. Why? Because they're kids. I have great kids. They're kids. You probably were there once too. As you grow older, as you mature, you learn to take ownership. I mean, think about it. Let's say you're living on your own, and you don't put the milk away before you go to work. (laughs) Yeah, you don't have milk left when you get back, right, because it's all sour. Or if you don't put your laundry away when you're an adult living on your own, and you have people over, they're going to think, what's the deal with this guy? He just leaves his clothes everywhere, right? There's a certain point in maturity that you and I take ownership. We're all in different points of our faith life. Maybe some of us aren't even (laughs) in faith yet. But a maturing Christian, much like a maturing child, takes ownership of what God has called us to do. And what has God called us to do? To fish. To share the good news with other people to share the good news with those who don't know him. So I've got an assignment for you today. This week, I want you to knock on the homes of five people in your neighborhood that you don't know, preferably during supper time, to bother them. And I want you to have a long gospel proclamation to them so their food gets cold. All right, I'm glad you're laughing. You know me pretty well. That's not your assignment, okay? But I want to get you thinking. How about this? What if we started embracing the fact that God has no other plan for the people around you to hear the good news of Jesus? 
What if we, what if we took ownership and recognized there's no hired servant that's going to come behind us to put the milk away? There's no heavenly Bose audio system that's going to proclaim the message. That God didn't even choose the angels to do this, even though angel means messenger. I mean, that would have made sense, right? He chose us. He chose followers to fish. Followers to make a difference. Followers to have purpose that can last far into eternity. Here's what I want you to know. It's our last fill-in for today. You are uniquely positioned to make a difference in someone's life, an eternal difference. Each one of you here today are better positioned to make a difference in someone's life than anyone else here in this room. You see, you look at me and you think, yeah, it's easy for you, Ben, to talk about Jesus, to be, you know, to be a light in the world, however you want to fish for people because you're a pastor. And I look at you and I'm like, man, I wish I were you guys. Because every time people hear that I'm a pastor, they put their walls up and they don't really, you know, they think I have an agenda. And do I have an agenda? Absolutely. I want everyone in heaven. But they don't listen to me the same way they listen to you. I wish I were you. I wish I was just a normal person who loved Jesus, knew that Jesus loved me. Think of all the doors that could be opened if I didn't have pastor in front of my name. I love being a pastor. But I'm trying you to see, get you to see <laughs> you're uniquely positioned. You can make a difference that no one else can because of the relationship you have with someone in your extended family, the relationship you have with someone at work. We just need to be looking and praying and asking God to open doors. And then when the doors open, to tell the good news, to let them know, to invite them to church. About a month ago or so, I, I shared something about my mom's dad. Um, he had been a Christian all his life and uh, is, is still a strong Christian, even though his wife passed away a number of years ago and, and is, is, is doing really well. Today, I want to tell you about the other side of the family, my dad's side of the family, the bloomer side of the family. Um, three generations ago, the bloomer family were not Christians. I mean, if you would have asked them, they probably would have said yes, but here's a clue that it wasn't a big part of their life. My grandfather was not baptized. I have a picture up here of the, the family. Um, this is my grandpa um, and his sister. This, these are all his, his siblings and then his, their mom. Um, this sister is named Helen. Um, Helen, being brought up in this nominally, you know, pretty much unchristian family, uh, ended up uh, through a dating relationship learning more about Jesus. Dated someone and then married someone who was a strong Christian. And she started bringing this stuff home with her. And she became a really strong Christian. She started going to church even though no, no one else in the family went to church. And over time, as she just sort of sprinkled the gospel in her family and, and maybe more than anything, lived it out, 
her parents started to go to church because of the evangelizing of their teenage daughter. Can you imagine? Eventually, my grandpa got baptized and died a Christian a number of years ago. Three generations later, there are lots of Christians in the Bloomer family and even a few pastor people sprinkled in there too. Talk about a legacy. You know, generation from now, I don't know if they'll remember Helen Bloomer, the name. But I'll tell you what she did is going to last a heck of a lot longer than the Weisselbaum Resort. <laughs> it has consequences, impact, that for this guy, my grandpa, and for me, will last into eternity. And one day on the Sea of Galilee, as Jesus was calling some fishermen to follow, he said, I'm going to make you fishermen into fishers of men. And that calling, my friends, is the same one that God has given to each one of us. Here's your real assignment. Pray for people you don't know that don't know Jesus or might be weak in their faith. Make sure it's a part of your prayer list. And then the next step is to pray for opportunities, for open doors to be able to make a gospel impact in their life in words, actions, hopefully both. And then when God opens those doors, whether it be in your life, out there, or whether it be here at church, that you and I would answer that call to follow and to be fishermen. And here's the thing. The impact you can make, the difference we can make, the difference some of you already have made <laughs> will last far longer than we'll be here. Let me pray for you with that in mind. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for changing our lives through the message of the good news of Jesus. Lord, as I see my life changed through it, I ask you to help me then to find joy in being what you called me to be, a fisher of people. Help us to find those opportunities to share the good news with those who don't know it. We pray this in Jesus' name and also pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. At this time, our ushers will be gathering our thank offerings as we have a chance to give back to the Lord.